It's why I love science. I think there's so much positive, like magical, just cool stuff in science, you know? Um, like for instance, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you guys know that guy, big science teddy bear. I love that dude. He said that everything in the universe is stardust from the Big Bang. That is so cool. That is amazing. I'm stardust, you're stardust, the chair you're sitting on is stardust. That connects us. And I just get lost in that thought sometimes. I'll just catch myself thinking. I'll be like, wow, stardust shoved me on the street and called me a gay liberal. <laughs> Welcome to today's episode of Invested Success. I am so excited to have today's guest a stand-up comedian, and not just any stand-up comedian. My longtime friend and mentor, Jesse Fernandez, has been working as a comedy writer and stand-up for nearly two decades now. He's done everything from being a head content writer at Ebombs World to rocking the stage at Punchline and Cobb's comedy club opening for big names like Steve-O from Jackass or Maria Bamford, Netflix Lady Dynamite. He's won multiple awards, including a Webby and a Shorty, and he's been shortlisted for an Emmy. You possibly have read some of his writing at a little known fake news publication called The Onion. So he also does trivia for Zynga. He has a, an angle on comedy uh, joke structure and how to be funny that I've never heard before. He's invented his entire own anatomy of a joke theory that really plays well. And as one of his students helped me slay at my first stand-up comedy show ever. We talk about how to overcome stage fright, how to command a presence in the room, how to hook people with interesting stories, how to light up people's lives with funny jokes and humor, and how to be brave and face your fears and embrace failure. If you have ever dreamed of being the most charismatic, memorable person in a room, if you've ever wanted to have better public speaking and stage presence, if you've ever wanted to just light up people's lives with humor and funny jokes, this is going to be an episode you are definitely going to want to watch. Before we get started, please remember to subscribe wherever you happen to be listening, especially on iTunes and YouTube. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week and smashing that subscribe button so you never miss another one of the amazing guests that we bring to you. Without further ado, please help me give a warm round of applause to the one the only, the stand-up comedy master himself, Jesse Fernandez. Welcome, Jesse. So how would you like me to introduce you for this? Just, I mean, uh, president of the United States, I'd say. Was, <laughs> just go ahead and go with that one. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. All right. I have I have an amount of Bitcoin right now where it's, it's only so that I have something exciting to like care about, you know, like something like a tiny yes. little bet, you know, where I can be like, Ooh, cause when people talk about Bitcoin before, I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. Uh, but if I have <laughs> some, some stake in it, then, uh, it's more exciting. So to Definitely. me, it's like a sport exciting to see who's winning right now. So I, I am not, I'm losing at Bitcoin, but <laughs> on the upswing, I was like, Oh, it's real. It's happening. And so I invested and then it dropped <laughs> and now it's like now i'm like br basically breaking even maybe a little under but yeah i um i do that uh really good investment advice of uh buying high and selling low you know how everyone <laughs> says yes you're totally that's my that's my tagline for the show actually <laughs> yeah. so i 
I wanted to have you on the show because you are one of the most talented stand-up comedians I've ever met in real life. And my teacher, there's a few classes I can point to in life that had such dramatic results for everybody involved. The, all the students did such a great job. So oh, thank you yeah. for saying that. And you were, you were hilarious as well when you were on stage. So, oh, thank you. I'm really sad. I have not kept it up. COVID kind of ruined all my plans to get on stage and get better. How have you kept stand-up comedy going during quarantine? And are you able to like get back into it now that things are kind of calming down a little? So during, during quarantine, there was a, a big push for like doing Zoom shows and virtual stand-up shows. It's basically like the, wearing the patch if you're trying to quit smoking or something, you know? It's like you get a little bit of that nicotine. I got a little bit of that hit. I guess one of the benefits is that when I did feel comfortable going back to doing live shows it, it felt special again now it's like i go do i get in front of an audience and it's just like oh this feels so good it's like oh it's nostalgic i i i love this again you know so that was cool very cool so i always like to go back to the early days like what did you want to be when you grew up and when did you get bitten by the stand-up comedy bug so the my first passion when I was like in elementary school maybe junior high I wanted to be a break dancer and then um I couldn't do any moves uh and also there's no career in that as far as I could tell and I was like I need to get more realistic and so I decided to do stand-up comedy I saw like comedians on Comedy Central and it just looked so so fun uh it just yeah it looked amazing being able to like make a bunch of people happy like that I just I wanted to do that and I heard a comedian, Dimitri Martin, in an interview when I was like really early in comedy, maybe even before I'd actually started. And he said that he was in law school and he hated it. And he just sort of decided that what was, he wanted something that he could wake up every morning and be excited to do. And he liked making people laugh. So stand up comedy. And then the next question was, how do I make money at that? And so I think he had a good head on his shoulders for going, going into that, into the field. And so it just seemed wise. And I tried to do the same thing. How does one make money at stand-up uh, comedy since that's what the show is all about? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of different tracks to, 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 to get into it. Uh, most of which uh, are difficult and uh, a lot of them take time. I mean, there are definitely some cases where people kind of just pop instantly, you know, they just know how to do it and they just, you know. But for me personally, first I had to figure out how to be funny because when I was growing up, I was like a little funny, I was mostly goofy, uh, but like figuring out the craft and the puzzle of creating jokes and uh, making humor, um, you know, getting the audience to feel the feeling of humor, I had to figure that out. So that took a couple of years. Uh, and then I started to feel comfortable, like looking for work with the talent that I had. And so I started trying to like get booked on more shows and getting writing things and stuff like that. And that worked okay. And this was like 2007 or so. Uh, I was like a couple of years into comedy at that point. And I eventually just like doing all the comedy that I could in all the formats, not just stand up, right? And I made an animation and it was just a, a series of visual one-liners set to music. And I entered it in a contest, uh, the National College Comedy Competition in the video category. And uh, I took second place. And then the next year I took first place with a different animation. 
And there were like companies that were looking uh, at, at that competition and I got work through that. And that kind of got me started. That got me like, you know, gigs with Starbucks and Hitachi and uh, MSN and all that, all, you know, doing writing stuff, animation. And then that gave me a pretty decent portfolio. And then just being friendly and nice and, you know, talking to people, I eventually talked to somebody who knew somebody and I got to, you know, do a trial at Ebombs World, which was a comedy and entertainment website. I got hired there. Uh, and then I eventually became a head writer there. And I've been doing things ever since. And it's been, it's been great. Wow, that's incredible. It's a great story. I, I think, yeah, that's one of the most impressive things about you is you seem like you've made this into a career um, and, and you're not just like starving artist, at least, uh, you know, as your public resume would lead. It looks mm-hmm. like you, you're you very in demand. Um, how did you embark on your stand-up comedy education? Did you jump on stage? Did you get a degree? Uh, what, what was that process like when you were just learning how to do this stuff? Stand-up comedy is one of the easier things to, I mean, it, not internally, there are definitely obstacles that a lot of people have, and I totally understand that. But as far as like starting, like just the physical act of starting, it's easy because there are open mics all over the place. If you want to do a set and you don't have the inhibitions or you can get over those inhibitions to do it, it's easy to, to do. You just sign up and then you do a set. There's no tryouts. There's no uh, cuts. Uh, you don't have to be good. Uh, there are no stakes. You just go do it and then you get your practice that way. And so if you can be so brave, you can eventually get very good because you just, you get all that practice. If there are no open mics around you, you can start an open mic uh, and all of that stuff. You just get the stage time and then you get better at it. So I would recommend if anyone wants to do stand up, just start. And I would also say that like, you don't have to be funny to start, you know, like you, you don't, there are no stakes. There's nobody's going to tell you to stop. Like just keep trying and you will get better at it. It's not like a magical thing. You, it's a skill set that you learn over time. So just keep doing it and you'll eventually reach the potential that you want to reach. It just takes time and effort and intelligence. And if you've got uh, a lack in one, then you just make up for it with the other two and then you'll be all right. That's really, really wise and really inspiring. I, I like that because I think a lot of people think being artistic or good at something creative is like somebody flies down from the heavens and kisses you on the forehead with a gift. Whereas a lot of times um, it is just work. Yeah, it's it's labor like, you know, any other any other job. And some people, maybe it, it appears to even themselves as like a magical thing because maybe they have learned how to be funny as they were growing up and they didn't realize they were learning it. It, it was just sort of a... I don't know, a defense mechanism or just that's the way that their family was. And so they just, that's how they interact with the world and for them, great, but they still learned it just like anyone else can learn it. That makes sense. What about those internal demons though? If somebody wants to get up and that's something I would love to pick your brain about today in general is public speaking, no matter what profession you go into is a really great skill as is having a sense of humor. And, And you've coached a lot of students as well to get over that hurdle. Did you ever have a fear of that or did it come naturally? And, and how do you, what advice do you give to people that maybe have that kind of um, hesitation? Oh my God. Yeah, I definitely did. When I first started doing stand up comedy, I needed to get an inhaler. I don't have asthma, uh, but I would just like, I would, I would do this thing where like, I would breathe in like two times for every exhale, you know, like I just couldn't get enough air on one inhale and like 
I would get lightheaded. Everything would be fuzzy. I went to a doctor. They gave me an inhaler. It was probably a placebo. It probably didn't do anything, <laughs> but I would use it before doing a set probably for the first month or two of, of doing stand-up comedy. Uh, and eventually it got a little bit easier and the stage fright for me went away slowly and it, it ebbed and flowed. Like there were peaks and valleys. Like sometimes I would have more stage fright and, and sometimes less. And, uh, but the trend was less and less and less stage fright over time. So first thing is practice. You get, as you do it more, it gets easier. Uh, but the, the, probably the most important thing in standup and also any public speaking is, is the vibe that you put out there for the audience. Whatever your job may be, whether it's to convince the audience of something or to inform them of something or to make them laugh, that's part of your job, not the entirety of it, right? When they're watching you, a big part of the job is to make them feel good. And chiefly, you can make them feel good by putting out a good vibe. And if you put out a good vibe and you make them feel good, then it's a lot easier for you to do the other, the other part of your job, making them laugh, informing them, persuading them, whatever. And so don't let the audience decide what vibe you put out there. Like if they don't laugh at your first joke or your first couple of jokes or something and you feel bad, they're going to start to feel worse. But if you seem unfazed, if you seem overjoyed, if you seem delighted, whatever it may be, whatever the good vibe is, then they're going to be like, oh, things are okay. I'm, this person is like fun to watch this. I, I feel, I still feel good. I feel safe. I feel nice. And then it's going to be a lot easier to get them to laugh at your next jokes or to have them hear the things that you want to say going forward. So I would say that start with that positive positivity, start with that vibe and, and don't let the audience decide for you how you feel you're in charge of how you feel. And to a large extent, you're in charge of how they feel. And so feel good first, put that vibe out there. Everything will be easier uh, after that. Such epic advice. I love that. That goes for so many, so many things I think in life as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah. people are people, you know, like they're not, they're not just like, it's not a crowd. It's not just a crowd. It's not just random, like a bunch of like faces and, you know, like they are, uh, it's social. It's a social thing, public speaking. And so treat it like that. These are, these are friends. These are people who like to feel good. So yeah, shouldn't, I mean, it, I understand being nervous, but it's just, it's a vestigial sort of feeling that comes from, you know, when we were in tribes hundreds of thousands of years ago, where being in front of a crowd like that actually was a dangerous thing. You could be ostracized, you could be, you know, uh, attacked or whatever, but that's not the world that we live in anymore. People are way more civilized people, you know, and you don't really have to worry like that, or at least know that to a certain extent, your fear is, uh, it's a cognitive distortion. Ooh, I like that. Fear is a cognitive distortion. That is yeah, very accurate. Stage fright. Have you ever, I mean, I've got to ask, have you ever bombed terribly? And like, what does that feel like? And did it, did it give you more stage fright or was it like, oh, you know, easy to overcome? How did you handle it? Uh, I, and every comedian that you've ever seen before has bombed their pants off. Uh, the, it, it definitely, it happens. I mean, there are just situations where you can't not bomb 
in in comedy i mean there there are bar shows where people are playing pool in the background and there's a loud bar and the microphone is cutting in and out and there's a football game playing on the tv right behind the comedian um and you're not going to do anything but bomb in that situation it's just nearly impossible not to it just it happens right and it doesn't feel good certainly uh, but it doesn't feel as bad as you think. And your life really doesn't change as a result of it. Either way, you still wake up the next morning. Uh, all it does is make you a little bit braver, give you a little bit thicker skin, uh, make you a little bit uh, less worried about that situation in the future. Because a lot of that worry is the what if, you know, like what if this happens? How terrible will that be? Well, you know, what if it happens because it happened before and it's not that bad. And sometimes it's not the environment. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes your brain's just not at working at the best capacity that it could. Sometimes you misread a situation. All of these things, though, are, are learning opportunities. You, you get it wrong one time and then it sticks in your craw and you come up with a thousand different things that you could have said. And then next time, if a similar situation comes up, you pick one of those thousand things that you thought of and you say at that time. And then the audience goes, ah, this comedian's brilliant. They just had the perfect thing to say in that situation. And you just say, yes, yes, I am brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> they don't have to know that you failed last time. So wise, very inspiring. I like that. So, I mean, for comedy and humor in general, I really liked your course because you broke it down in a way that like it was actionable and attainable to get on stage and be a comedian. So I would love to just dive in more. Do you think there's a formula to a joke or to what makes something funny? And if so, um, how can we maybe use those tactics to be more funny or more charismatic in everyday life? Sure. Yeah. Every, every bit of humor has, a formula to it whether we recognize it or not is a different story or whether it's new to us or not is a different story but yeah you can you can break them all down given enough thought or you know enough experience you can you can break it down so i would say for people a useful formula is try well uh, okay here's the basic formula for all humor there is status lowering something's being made fun of something is being knocked down a peg right and then there's surprise the audience didn't see that coming they they uh, what they thought was true was not true and something else is right if you have those two things uh, and it all makes sense there's no ambiguity there's no alternate meanings that it it could have had there's no begging questions where it's like yeah that's i get that but what about this other obvious thing that the comedian didn't mention if you have status lowering and surprise it all makes sense then you've got humor right that's that's the basics of it now you can't construct jokes through those rules because that's those are limitations those aren't like you know th those aren't inspiring those are just they make it seem harder but it's a great way to analyze humor that you've already created does it achieve those those uh those necessary things for humor and those things aren't uh always in the same level sometimes it's got a lot of really satisfying status lowering and a little bit of surprise or vice versa as you know this is a uh we could talk about this for like hours and hours just this the just the the construction of humor right oh i'll be putting out a course uh in 2022 online that people can check out and there's going to be a lot more about that uh here's an easy one if you if you Say something that's obviously silly, obviously wrong, and it's got a positive connotation to it, then uh, that's an easy way to get a laugh from people, right? Now, uh, like, 
uh, Arj Barker's got a, a really good one that uses this structure. Um, he'll say, man, the internet is, is just like, it is absolutely blown up. Did you know that more than 10,000 people a day use the internet? Right. And that to me is hilarious. Cause it's like, okay, yeah, he's being positive. Uh, and he's being obviously dumb because like, he's really understating the amount of people who are using the internet. Right. So that makes me laugh. And like, that's not that hard to do. You just like think of a, 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 a fact, get it wrong, but make sure that the, the connotation that you're using is something that's not going to be insulting anybody or, or making them feel bad, makes them feel good instead. And you can get an easy laugh out of that. And so I think that's one that, you know, people can generally use on the fly. I'd say that's, that's a good one for, for people. Excellent. And what about, I mean, I, I would love to know from you, what are some of the transferable skills that comedy has given you? Like, what are some of the, the improvements you've seen in everyday life since you've pursued this career and passion? I think perspective is a good one. You know, when you do stand up, it's, it's very humbling, you know, there you've got these goals, you can have like great plans and things can still go wrong. And, you know, it doesn't go as well as you think, or, whatever. And for the first bunch of years that, that bothered me, but now I'm like, I'm pretty Zen about it. Uh, and I know that like, probably things aren't going to go exactly as planned and that's okay. And if something doesn't work, if a joke doesn't work, if I get interrupted, if there's a heckler, any of that stuff, you know, that's all part of life. Some that stuff happens and you can get upset with it or you can just roll with it and enjoy it. And things go, things tend to go so much better if you just enjoy yourself, regardless of what happens. And so definitely try your best, but know that, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And that's okay. Cause you're going to try your best next time too. And you know, the, your things are going to work out overall in the end, if you just keep trying uh, and failures happen and that's okay. Uh, that is a lesson that gets just embedded if any comedian who's been doing it for a long time that just that gets hammered into them so much because they're they're you know walking that tightrope so many times that they know what falling off of it feels like and um you know it just happens it's going to happen sometimes so that has been really good for me the perspective that it's given me um i would be a more i would be very afraid of failure i think naturally um if i hadn't practiced being okay with it I love that as, yeah, I mean, I think that's a lesson that I've learned repeatedly myself is there's really kind of no such thing as failure. There, perhaps there is, but it's really just kind of growth. And that applies to everything from career to diet mistakes. It's only when you think you failed and you give up altogether that you technically, I guess, could say failure if you believe such a thing exists. So I love that, that this art can kind of teach you to be okay with, with the imperfections that life brings and, and how that actually makes you get better. I don't get stage fright at all anymore. I mean, if I get stage fright now, I'm just like, oh, it's a feeling I haven't felt in so long. And like, I don't think that really even counts. Um, I'm, I'm at a point where like, I'm, I feel more comfortable in front of a crowd than I do in just a regular conversation. Uh, it just, it, it just feels like such a, such a controlled and, and like known environment for me now 
Um, and that's definitely a perk. I could get in front of like a thousand people without a script and just be like, Hey, all right, cool. You know, like I'm, I'm just, I'm comfy. I, I just like it now. I'm jealous. That's, that's really cool and really exciting. How long did it take you to kind of get to that place where it felt cozy and normal instead of uh, you needed needing an inhaler to, to get through it? Well, the inhaler was pretty brief. The cozy and normal, there was like a large gap between inhaler and, and cozy and normal. Right. And, uh, in that time it was like, you know, general trajectory of, uh, less stage fright, but I would say 14 years, <laughs> it took a while for it to actually feel better, feel more comfortable than being off stage. I, you know, like I got, I got to a point where like, I, I was like, you know, I, I, in a certain environment, I'm like, I feel good on stage. Um, but I was still like kind of nervous, you know, I felt like, Oh, any one of these jokes, if they fail, then like, I'm going to start to feel bad. Right. Um, and it took until I kind of realized that like, I'm in charge of how I feel, not the audience. It took until I realized that to, to actually start feeling like, actually, this is like totally great. I, I love being like being in charge of that whole situation, it feels good. And some people it's, it, it just takes longer for them to realize that. Um, and it took me a while, but I feel good now. I feel good on stage. Oh, that's so awesome. I would, I would love to get to that level. Um, I think that's something I said when I was in your classes, I had already embarrassed myself so much in life. I was sort of immune to be embarrassed mm-hmm. or I'm always embarrassed literally. So I can't like tell the difference between being embarrassed or not. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, <laughs> that reminds but- me of Jim Gaffigan. He said a similar thing. He said, um, you know, I, I've embarrassed myself so many times that, oh, what's one more time. It's like a vaccine, if anything, to embarrassment. Cause you just get a little bit all the time. So, mm-hmm. so you don't feel it when you completely embarrass yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why we did the, uh, the bombing on purpose, uh, session in class, uh, get that vaccine. That was to bombing. Yes, that was such a good one. Oh man, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. For the listeners, Jesse had one part of our curriculum was to bomb on purpose in like a safe space among our fellow peers, all in front of each other, mm-hmm. and it worked quite well. Yeah, people love that one. They're they're afraid at first, but then after they do it, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I actually, you know, I'm I, you know, it makes people a lot braver to get that over with. Bombing in itself is also funny. Like, there's something weirdly hilarious about it, you know, especially yeah. when you want to do it on purpose. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, I'm, I'm hearkening back to just so many other comedians, but Pete Holmes said that like the, there's like a cosmic joke going on where everything, if you think about it is a little bit funny, you know? Um, and bombing, I think is like a, an easier one to find the humor for because you're attempting this goal and you're failing at it. So you've got the status lowering right there. It's like silly that like you're trying to do something and not succeeding at it that's already kind of funny and so just learning to enjoy that too well I mean then you're not really bombing and then it's like well is it even possible to really really bomb if you're just like if that's a little funny too then you know it's less scary it's yeah it's it's already funny and and if there's like an irony to it if you've gotten up to impress people and make them laugh and they're not laughing um how do you come up with new material so i mean you're so creative and you've got all of these i mean you do written stuff you do videos you have clearly have just what seems like a flowing wave of creativity at all times how do you come up with these ideas for these jokes and and other things thank you for saying that by the way i I'm not one of the, those people who just wait for the inspiration to come because if I did, then sometimes it would come often, but sometimes it would be a month before I even start a project. You know, like I'm not, ideas don't just pop into my brain all the time. I know that some people have that and, you know, God bless them. They're very lucky. 
uh, I have to work for a lot of my ideas. So I will, I will sit down and I will just write. And depending on the project, I have a, a goal for the writing, right? Um, but if I'm, if I'm writing stand up and let's say I don't have an idea that I'm starting with, uh, I'll just pick anything, any object in the room. And I'll just write about that. And then I'll let my brain flow to wherever it'll change topics. It'll, I'll, I'll start a joke and then think like of a better idea. And then I'll go off on that tangent and, and I'll just, I'll, I won't censor myself. I won't, I won't do any quality uh, 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 testing. There's no rubric, you know, I, not everything I write is going to be good, but a vast majority isn't, right? But then eventually I'll notice something that's got one of the elements of humor. Maybe it's got status lowering. Maybe it's got some surprise to it. And then I'll really hone in on that topic and I'll go like, all right, I've got surprise. Now, how can I add some teeth to this? How can I get some satisfying status lowering? And then, um, you know, I'll add the other parts of the joke uh, that way. And then it's just editing and iterating and I'll write like 25, 50 different versions of the same joke. And then eventually I'll get something where I go, ah, this is great. This is going to work. And then I'll be happy with that. Um, and then, you know, there, there are times when I've got uh, different ideas that I start with. Uh, it's not starting from nothing. I've got a notepad, uh, a note app, and throughout my day, I'll just write uh, just various ideas, knowing that I, I'll come back to it later. Um, and so when I sit down to write, I, I usually have like 20 different things that I could potentially turn into a joke. Do you have like a favorite joke that you just feel like, is perfectly representative of your stand-up comedy repertoire. Right now, uh, the stuff that I've been writing for The Onion, it's all like video game stuff. And I have been really enjoying it. I feel like it's been capturing a lot of like my favorite humor. And it's just like, I love the satire. I love the silliness of it. Do you have a different process for like stand-up comedy versus comedy writing when you're writing articles and content and that kind of thing? It's mostly the same process. The, the requirements of the, the different uh, formats are, are different, uh, as you might guess. With written humor, you can get a little bit more nuanced and, uh, nuanced in a way um, because people will inspect the writing. They'll investigate more. Like they take their time with it a little bit more. Uh, and find the humor, right? If they know that this is a joke, then they'll look for that humor. Um, and stand-up is, it's quick. You tell the joke and it's over and you move on to the next one. And so the audience, it needs to like click, right? And they'll inspect what you've said a little bit less because what you've said has disappeared. It's in their brain. And then, you know, uh, if they, they only remember so much, right? Um, and so it, it stand-up needs to be a little bit, simpler not in every case obviously but but generally jokes and stand-up you might notice are a little more bold a little more kind of like hit you in the face with it that makes sense um and i want to dive into that more in terms of boldness and, and maybe touch upon like cancel culture and that kind of thing which sure. is relevant for stand-up comedians but first i should have you clarify for our audience what is status lowering i know because i've taken your class but um just as, as like a method for humor Gotcha. So something's being teased, something's being made fun of. And that's not to say that jokes are mean per se. They can be, but uh, the, the, the rubric here, the, the, the bar that you're hitting is not just like, 
be as mean as possible or lower something status as much as possible. What you want is something that's lower status as satisfyingly to the audience as possible. What would they like to, you know, what would they like most to be made fun of now? And that's different depending on the topic. If you're making fun of a, a dictator, uh, a Putin or like uh, Kim Jong-un, you can lower their status a lot. You can make all sorts of mean jokes and people go, ha ha ha, that's great. But if you do the same sort of status lowering for somebody beloved, uh, Tom Hanks, um, uh, Oprah, then people won't like that. The same sorts of jokes that you could tell about Kim Jong-un, you could not tell about Oprah, right? So with Oprah, maybe like status lowering that also complements her in some way or that, that lowers the status of like some facet of her that isn't core to her being or that is sort of just like a you know a teasing sort of playful thing that might be most satisfying for audiences humor is 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 kind of an aggressive art form but it doesn't have to be mean per se such a good point and a good segue so yeah like when you are doing comedy you have to be bold sometimes if you want to you know get that laugh how do you know that you're not crossing a line or sometimes you know have you cross that line and and I know that cancel culture is a new a new thing I think with the internet so does that something that ever keeps you up at night as a stand-up comedian do you think it's a good thing um do you think that it's problematic for you know t- pushing the limits of comedy I have never really had an issue with cancel culture my act is not it doesn't toe that line uh, I know that some people really like to get people to laugh at things that they didn't think that they would laugh at. And that, that can be a valuable thing. Uh, getting the audience to, to go like, ah, I didn't think that this would be funny, but it turns out it is. And so it gives them that epiphany in a way, you know, they hadn't thought about this one topic in this way before it was a touchy subject that, wow, this comedian, danced across that minefield really well and they made me laugh and wow that's impressive and that can be really cool it's always been a difficult thing to do and i don't think i think that cancel culture has a name now but people have always been offended by certain topics and you know not offended by others and then i think a lot of the people who complain about cancel culture are maybe doing something that is not great to do you know maybe maybe they didn't dance across that minefield as well as they thought they did and maybe the issue isn't with the audience um i think that the the facet of cancel culture that is a a pile on i don't love that i mean when if i i know that like lindsay ellis do you know who lindsay ellis is she's a video essayist on youtube and like she got she got like canceled and now she doesn't make videos anymore um and you know maybe the thing that she got canceled for was like not maybe it wasn't great i don't i don't actually know exactly the details on that but like she was a good uh video essayist and i and what she did uh in the first place wasn't like that bad you know like so having like thousands and thousands of people like not letting her forget about like maybe one little mistake or something like that that sucks that's terrible um and so like the the volume is of of criticism that people get for the mistakes that they make is an issue i don't that's that's not a great uh aspect of cancel culture Um, the highlighting of, of issues in the first place though, um, you know, audiences are the the people who decide, you know, whether your jokes are funny or not. Right. And so like, 
they're they you know their their opinions matter a lot yeah if they cancel a joke maybe you should edit that joke to make it so that it they don't cancel it next time very well put very good points yeah i think the funny thing with youtube actually this is like a trick of the trade if you want to get a following picking a fight with somebody that already has a big following Mm -hmm. um, by calling them out on something can create little internet fights that actually create more attention so i think that sometimes that's uh sometimes that's cancel culture as well i think it's got like two sides to it depending on how you look at it that's true that's a good point i mean people get internet points for like being holier than thou right and um so yeah that's that incentivizes people to find issues where maybe there isn't any um yeah that's not great either that's true yeah good point yeah no i mean your comedy is very uh hilarious but also i didn't feel annoyed or pissed off or offended and and i like i think it's because you're aware of that status lowering thing right like nobody wants the status lowered of somebody who's like you don't want to pick on the little guy kind of thing um so i think your awareness and sensitivity to like what makes something funny is is really spot on and and really useful and helpful and on that note i mean one of the things i loved about your course is how much you talked about storytelling and the anatomy of a story and that's so important i think not only to stand-up comedy but for personal branding you know for creating a blog on the internet uh every part of our lives is is really storytelling Uh, if you want to be persuasive confident charismatic what are some of your tips for building a great story and how does that come into play for stand-up comedy stand-up comedy there's a lot of storytelling involved and stories are super useful because it's another layer of entertainment that you're giving the audience. Uh, The audience wants to know what happens next in the story. And in addition to that, you can tell them jokes. Compared to a comedian who doesn't tell any stories, they've only got the jokes. So they've got one layer rather than two that are uh, storytelling is also really useful because it's a safety net if your jokes fail, then the audience can still be interested in the story. And so, and maybe they don't even notice that the, the, the joke was a joke. They just think that that's an element of the story. And so you can just move on to the next uh, part of the story and no, no harm, no foul. It can be really useful for that. Um, uh, people are wired to connect to stories, very useful uh, to tell stories in, in all sorts of formats, whether it be stand up or, or public speaking in any, any, any way. Uh, some elements that are useful for stories, a hook, get the audience to care early on want make them want to know what happens in the story. And so think about your story in terms of like what the value is to the audience. What is it that they're going to really like about this story? Is there a big payoff at the end? Is there a lesson that's, that's going to be learned? Is there some instructive way that you handle the situation useful to the audience and identify the the value that the audience is going to get out of the story and then put that hint put a hint about that at the beginning that's your hook so then the audience goes oh wow this is going to have a big payoff at the end i want to know what happens or oh i'm going to get something useful out of this that i can take to my everyday life excellent i want to know what happens the hook really really useful for getting the audience on board with your story um one thing that's very useful is trying to find concision for your story. I think a a lot of people add details to the story that aren't particularly useful. If you can cut something out of your story and it does not affect the understanding of the story, then you might want to cut that out. I mean, unless it's got like a so much other value that, I mean, it's, it's just great. Like it's hilarious to, to tell this thing and it doesn't contribute to the story, but it's really, really funny, then sure, add that. But it, failing that, 
failing some big value, maybe cut it out and then see how your story functions without it. One more tip. I'll give one more tip for, for storytelling. Think about the beats of your story, the, the implicit connectors in the story should be, but, or therefore not. And something happened. Uh, these people wanted a thing, but something got in the way or they did this, therefore this happened. Those, those connectors move the story forward. They, the audience goes, ah, yes, this follows. Oh, there's, a, there's some tension that's created here because of this. Uh, and then you know they wanna know what happens next. If the implicit connectors in the story are this happened and then this happened and then this happened, then that seems like disconnected and it doesn't, propel the audience into the next part of the story. It just seems like a list of events, right? And so think about those connectors um, and, and it should propel the audience into the next part of the story. So genius. I love that because stories, you know, can ramble and that's a good way for people, I think, to stay on the edge of their seat. And mm -hmm. I love that lesson. I've taken your storytelling advice and applied it to so many things. So cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually putting a, um, a comic book out. That's a, a kind of an epic tale uh, in 2022 uh, with an artist named Skinner, who's like an amazing uh, artist. Uh, and I'm co-writing it with Skinner and uh, a New York Times bestselling author, uh, Cody Goodfellow. So uh, that'll come out uh, in the coming year. So look out for that too. Ooh, I can't wait to read that. That's so cool. Gosh, what don't you do? You, you're in all of the mediums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try. I mean, it, it just feels good to create. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not like super limited. I, I, I'm not limited to stand up. I like all of the comedy and I'm kind of discovering that I just like to make, you know, things like I writing this comic book, like there's humor in it, but there's also like, there's, there's like bleak, there's, uh, there's, uh, somber and like, it's fun to evoke those emotions too. I'm, I'm realizing like, it's just like, it's just, it's just fun to create and evoke all sorts of feelings. So I'm, I, I, I might get into more, you know, humor that has some, some mixed modality in, in the future. I want to, I want to do, I want to get people to feel things that they weren't expecting to feel along with the humor. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I might lean in that direction. I want to make people sad and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Instead of like a stand-up comedian, your title could be like maker of emotions or yeah. <laughs> emotion generator. That's cool. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I mean, on the subject of like storytelling, uh, what, what tips do you have for building out an actual act? Um, because that's kind of another secret that people don't talk about. They think it's just getting up on stage and telling jokes, but those jokes kind of need to flow. So you're not just chopping, you know, from one to the next, mm -hmm. or maybe some, some comedians have that style. So what are some tips and tricks that you have in that respect? Well, first of all, look at a stand-up act as a product, you know, and, and, and that being the case, it's iterative. You're trying to make the best product that you possibly can. I think a, a common misconception in, in stand-up comedy is that, the comedian just thought of it. And part of it is the comedian's fault. They give the impression that they just thought of it because that makes it more extemporaneous feeling. And so it feels more electric, but that's theater, right? The thing that the comedian says happened just today may have happened years ago, right? Uh, and when I first found that out, I was, I felt a little bit betrayed because, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, they, they worked on this, right? But 
but that is the craft. It is theater. And I started to appreciate more the craft over time. Like, wow, the comedian is really good at giving this extemporaneous feeling, right? But if you go into stand-up comedy, don't look at it the way that an audience might. Don't just come up with the stuff and then go on stage uh, and and do that every time, right? You're not, don't make a new act every time you do a set because you're going to have a lot of like B sets at every once in a while you have an a set but you're gonna have a lot of b sets a lot of c sets and um, that's not what you want you want something where you go in front of an audience and it wows them they're amazed and so iterate go tape your sets listen to your sets uh edit the stuff that doesn't work um change it and try and make it so that all of it works as good as possible if you're getting good laughs see if you can change it so that you can or add to it or improve it so that you can get huge laughs and clapping and, you know, iterate, iterate, iterate. That's my advice. Do you have any great examples of like a hook for getting someone's attention? One-liners are uh, really useful to put at the beginning because the audience is making their first impressions of you. And so if you can get in their first impression that, that you're funny, then that's very useful. Right. And so I'm always looking for, for things that I can say that like gets a laugh in the first line when I, when I go on stage. Um, So just like very casually, like when I get on stage, I will often say, so is everybody here from wherever or whatever? And it's just a quick laugh. And the audience goes like, ah, well, and it's like, a, it's a throwaway line too. I just sort of say it as an aside, as soon as I get on stage. And so the audience just instantly go, okay, this guy's funny. And I have to pay attention because he's going to be tossing in some, some throwaway lines that I could miss if I, if I'm not. And so, um, yeah, that, I guess that's another piece of advice for new stand-up comedians is like, when you get on stage, uh, that's the time to get some quick punchlines in so that the audience thinks you're funny instantly. So wise. I love that. So, so brilliant. And for presence, I mean, I think obviously material is so critical, but the actual being on stage, how do you recommend, you know, body language, intonation, uh, how, how should someone approach that? With being on stage, the tendency for a lot of people when they're uncomfortable is to stand in one spot and to smile because they were told that smiling is good and they say their lines and they have the same like energetic tone the whole time. Um, and like those things like in, in, uh, uh, a vacuum, uh, are good, right? It's good to smile. It's good to face the audience. It's good to have an energetic tone. Uh, but if you are on stage for a good amount of time, 10 minutes, 20 minutes more, uh, the audience starts to recognize an unchanging tone, an unchanging facial expression, uh, the standing in the same spot, they, they start to recognize that as a, a mask. Like it's not real. It doesn't seem real anymore. And so novelty is a good thing to keep incorporating into your act, uh, in terms of your delivery, right? So change up the way that you talk, change your facial expression, do some hand gestures, move around the way that a human would. And so you seem a lot more natural to the audience. You seem a lot more comfortable, more confident, change it up, change up your pacing, your decibel level, change it all up. Just keep it, keep it novel for the audience. They'll be more entertained and they will think that you're a lot more 
comfortable and confident. For stage fright, do you have anything for people who are just starting out that they could do? Like, and how do they know when it's time to get on stage and just pull the plug? Because I'm sure you probably have students that, you know, want to rehearse forever or think mm-hmm. of jokes forever. So right. do you have any tips for that? Yeah, I, I would say that it's, it's, it's a lot less important than you, than you think. Uh, your first set, when you go up and you do an open mic, nobody, nobody cares. Like, it's like, it's not like, it doesn't matter if you do well or you don't like it's what's important is that you do it, get that experience, get that practice. And then it's not about the set that you did. It's about your future set. You know, you're working on something, you're, you're, you're improving something. So just, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be good. Just, and you need that feedback from the audience so that you can make it good. So the sooner you get out there and do it, the better off you're going to be. Um, in terms of stage fright, I, I get it. Uh, I, I have had stage fright many, many times. Um, and so some tools that used to help me uh, were setting a stop time for my stage fright, which is a, a little psychological trick you play on yourself. And it sounds stupid, but it absolutely works. The, uh, it works for me anyway, and uh, it may work for you. So when I would be looking at the stage and I'd be really nervous, I was going to go up next and I'm like, oh no, what if I bomb or something like that? Uh, I just set a stop time, like one minute before I go on stage, I would just go, no, I'm actually going to do amazing. I'm going to do great. And I would just turn off. I would just decide not to be nervous anymore. My stop time had happened. No, being nervous, not allowed anymore. And that would work for me. Um, now that these psychological tricks, they, they sometimes work and they sometimes don't. And so it's a good idea to have layers of, of, of tools that you can use, like a a series of safety nets, where if you fall through one, you go to the next. So another thing that I would do is I would, um, reframe the nervousness as a, as the energy that I was going to use to, to give a great show. This nervousness, I'm turning it into, into, into dynamism. I'm turning it into the, the nuclear power that I'm going to use to just like give the best performance that I possibly can. And if that doesn't work, then I would go to the next layer and I would say, I'm, it doesn't even matter if I'm nervous because I'm doing a character on stage. I'm playing a character. So me being nervous doesn't matter because the character is not nervous. I'm acting. It's not even me up there. Nothing, you know, I'm not, I'm not being vulnerable at all. I'm playing a character, right? Um, and so reframing your, your nervousness, um, recontextualizing the situation, uh, these things can be really helpful. One thing that you can do also is to reframe away from yourself at all. It's not even about you. It's about the, the, what you're giving to this audience. You're going to give them a joyful experience. You're contributing to their lives. And that's really cool. And so, you know, getting the, getting the thoughts away from yourself and onto this, this thing that you're contributing can be helpful too. Um, and finding your own little psychological tricks, uh, that work for you and keeping the other ones in mind in case one stops working, you can move on to the next. So those should be helpful. I think for people with stage fright. So insanely helpful. Yes. I love all of that. Um, the, excitement resonates with me. What I do, I did this when I went skydiving as I just am like, Oh, that's not nervous. I'm excited because your body has the same physiological reactions. Right. Um, but I'm definitely going to use all of those. If you're new in, in comedy and you can get on a zoom show, that might even be the way to go because it's, it, it feels a little bit safer. You know, the highs are less high. 
you know, the, the, the electricity of having an entire audience right there in front a real like live audience right there in front of you laughing. That's, that's a pretty great feeling. And it's, it's a bit harder to achieve in a zoom show. Um, so like, I guess the, the, the floor is, um, uh, a little bit lower, but so is the ceiling. Absolutely. That makes tons of sense. Uh, yeah. So in terms of how somebody could take this to a more professional level and actually participate in comedy shows and get booked regularly, uh, what would be some recommendations on, on how to do that? Once you feel like you have any good jokes at all, like you, if you've got like a good joke, try and do like five minutes, like just, just reach a little bit further than you're comfortable. Just just go for it because the best way to get yourself up to speed is, is by forcing yourself to, to do more. Right. Um, if you have one good joke, don't try and do a headline set. Don't do 45 minutes, but, um, five minutes, you can, you can, you can put together five minutes by the time the show comes around. Right. So just try, just, just step with a wider gate than you're normal, than you're normally comfortable with. Um, a lot of when I was first starting out, there were there were comedians who I felt like they were they were trying to get opportunities that I didn't personally think that they were ready for. And I was like resentful of that, which is like really stupid. You know, I probably just jealousy. Right. Um, but one thing that I noticed over time is that a lot of those people, they would get the opportunities and they would do OK at them, but they it would make them improve. Right. And eventually these people would get really, really good and they would kill it at those big opportunities. And so you could, you could just try to get really, really good and then start going for opportunities. And then you would be like uh, at a deficit compared to these other people who've been like getting these opportunities over time and they still get really good. Right. And so like you get good and try to get success at the same time. Um, and then, you know, eventually you will hopefully have both. Um, so I would say start trying to get success and trying to figure out how to do the thing. Um, even though it sounds a little bit scary and, um, you know, uh, you're not going to be as good when you start as, you know, many years into your career, just, just try anyway on the business side, having a nest egg is great. Don't quit your job and start comedy unless you've got like, you know, money coming in or you've got a, a nice amount of money to start with because the, it does, you know, require a lot of opportunities require that festivals flying out to festivals submitting for festivals um equipment that you need for like filming sketches or you know getting the software so that you can make animations all of these things cost money right and so don't think that you're going to jump out of the plane and build your parachute on the way down it makes it a lot harder uh to to actually uh, get success keep your day job do comedy as much as as satisfying um and then slowly transition towards comedy if that's what you want to do um, or jump in with a nest egg jump in with an amount of money that is like comfortable for you so that you you know give yourself the the financial cushion that you need to to make this thing work where do you find comedy shows to participate in open mics just like that nitty-gritty research how do you find like people who will book you do you have any tips off the top of your head for that kind of stuff if it's a big city then there's probably a a, a compiled list of many shows that are around New York has one San Francisco has one I'm sure that LA and Austin and you know Seattle go to a comedy show and then try to talk to one of the comedians and ask them if there's anything like that that you can look at uh, and then do open mics at the open mics you're going to meet a lot of different comedians and many of them book shows and 
ask them if you can do their show. Uh, be be friendly and be nice and and be as funny as you can, and it makes it a lot easier for for them to say yes to booking you. Um, but uh, get your practice at the open mic, make friends. They'll ask you to do book shows, and then over time you'll be doing more and more book shows, and then eventually you're just in the scene. You're one of the comedians, um, killing it, getting more and more success after that. What are some of your favorite practical tips and tricks in terms of books to read, podcasts to listen to, or even your favorite comedians that you look to for uh, humor and inspiration to your craft? Good question. The Comedians Comedian podcast, really good. They just talk about the craft of comedy. The Good One podcast, I don't know if they're still making episodes, but they would break down jokes. Uh, that was that was a nice one to, to listen to and, and learn about. Hearing interviews, just pick your favorite comedians and find all of the interviews that you can. And the smaller sources often tend to, to get more nitty gritty about the craft of humor, which is uh, very useful for an aspiring comedian. And so, you know, watch them all, but uh, go, go for the, the sources that like maybe you haven't heard from before. Like your favorite comedian goes on just some random podcast. They may give more advice about the craft of comedy. I'm curious because you know so much about story crafting and like the anatomy of a joke and that kind of thing. Where, where did you learn that? I have to ask. I just thought about it so much. I just spent so much time on it. Um, the, 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 the joke, my, my, my theory on jokes is not, it's not something that I read anywhere. I, I, that's something I just kind of came up with and I have not found a, an exception to it, you know? Uh, every, I think it just explains humor. I think I, you know, have found the explanation for humor. Um, and then story crafting is, I mean, that is something that I've learned from others. You know, I, I took the, uh, the master class there in Sorkin one, and I've read tons of stuff about, uh, storytelling and like I've subscribed to all the YouTube channels about storytelling and stuff like that. That's storytelling is, is a craft that I have needed to learn from outside sources because there are people who focus specifically on it. Whereas I can make my own theory on comedy because I have come in close to two decades of experience, just, you know, analyzing comedy and, and learning about it and crafting it. And so, um, I've, I've been able to sort of just build my own, my own framework for how comedy's created. Um, but storytelling, there's a lot of great resources out there. And it's really interesting. Stories are way more complex than jokes. I can I can send you links to, to a lot of those channels that I watch too about storytelling. Very cool. Yeah, I would love that. Please, I'll put them in the show notes. Like, how do you come upon these great opportunities? Like the Onion, you know, being a teacher at Google is a pretty cool gig. How, how do you find these things? In your previous episode with the, um, the voice acting uh, person, she said like a lot of it is the... Uh, you know, the, the networking, like you, you meet a lot of people and then like, they make you aware of opportunities. You know, that's been a lot of how I've gotten things too. Uh, with the onion, a, uh, a buddy of mine who writes for the onion suggested me. And so they gave me a trial and then I passed the trial and then I got to do that. Uh, with the Google teaching job, I, I opened for a comedian, years prior and we got along and uh, he liked my comedy and then he knew Marissa the the person who runs the program and and recommended me for that and she uh said no and then I uh put together a class and taught it at the punchline and then um the punchline comedy club in San Francisco and then I came back to her and I was like thank you so much for turning me down 
uh, I have, it has inspired me to make this class even better than I, you know, had it before. Um, here's what I have. And then she was like, oh, okay, this is, this is good now. And I like it. And so she let me do it. And now I teach at Google. I love that. It's a, uh, you know, it's not a no, it's a not right now. And that's cool that you, you right. took that rejection and, and then made yourself even better for it. So where can people find you and, and, uh, please shamelessly plug all of your projects real quick. Sure. Um, I, you can find me, uh, at my website, jessiewashere.com, uh, J E S S E was here.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, at Jesse Fernandez and uh, gosh, stand up. I'm in the Bay area, San Francisco, do all sorts of things around there. So if you're around, yeah, catch my set. I would love to talk to you. Wow. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show. I was so thoroughly entertained. I thought I had learned everything from your stand-up comedy class, but you are just continuously packing in more valuable, interesting information. What was your favorite takeaway from today's show? What did you like about today's guest? Please drop a review on iTunes uh, and let us know. We want to hear what you think of the show. And uh, as always, continue the discussion in the comments on YouTube. Even more importantly, if you would like to give us more thorough feedback, check out investedsuccess.com forward slash audience survey so that we can make the show more of what you want. You can also join our Facebook group, Invested Success on Facebook, and you can be the first to know which guests are coming on the show and ask questions and contribute questions to the guests that I will ask live on air. So if you want to ask our big deal guests that are coming on this season, a couple of questions, join the group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash invested success. So you can contribute audience questions. Thank you as always so much for tuning in. I am so thrilled at the explosive growth and success of this show. And I know it's all because you keep tuning in, listening, sharing the word uh, with the people you know, and without, without you, I would not be able to do what I do every day. So thank you as always for tuning in. This is Elise Walsh signing off with Invested Success, and I will see you next time.